Section 8 of The Evil Genius. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Evil Genius by Wilkie Collins. Section 8 The Diamonds. The new week was essentially a week of events. On the Monday morning, Mrs. Westerfield and her faithful James had their first quarrel. She took the liberty of reminding him that it was time to give notice of the marriage of the church, and to secure berths in the steamer for herself and her son. Instead of answering one way or another, James asked how the expert was getting on. "'Has your old man found out where the diamonds are?' "'Not yet.' "'Then we'll wait till he does.' "'Do you believe my word?' Mrs. Westerfield asked curtly. James Belbridge answered, with Roman brevity, "'No.' This was an insult. Mrs. Westerfield expressed her sense of it. She rose and pointed to the door. Go back to America as soon as you please, she said, and find the money you want, if you can. As a proof that she was in earnest, she took her copy of the cipher out of the bosom of her dress and threw it into the fire. The original is safe in my old man's keeping, she added. Leave the room. James rose with suspicious docility and walked out, having his own private ends in view. Half an hour later, Mrs. Westerfield's old man was interrupted over his work by a person of bulky and blackguard appearance, whom he had never seen before. The stranger introduced himself as a gentleman who was engaged to marry Mrs. Westerfield. He requested, not at all politely, to be permitted to look at the cipher. He was asked if he had brought a written order to that effect, signed by the lady herself. Mr. Belbridge, resting his fists on the writing table, answered that he had come to look at the cipher on his own sole responsibility and that he insisted on seeing it immediately. "'Allow me to show you something else first, was the answer he received to this assertion of his will and pleasure. "'Do you know a loaded pistol, sir, when you see it?' The barrel of the pistol approached within three inches of the barman's big head as he leaned over the writing-table. For once in his life he was taken by surprise. It had never occurred to him that a professed interpreter of ciphers might sometimes be trusted with secrets which placed him in a position of danger and might therefore have wisely taken measures to protect himself. No power of persuasion is comparable to the power possessed by a loaded pistol. James left the room, and expressed his sentiments in language which has not yet found its way into any English dictionary. But he had two merits when his temper was in a state of repose. He knew when he was beaten, and he thoroughly appreciated the value of the diamonds. When Mrs. Westerfield saw him again on the next day, he appeared with undeniable claims on her mercy. Notice of the marriage had been received at the church, and a cabin had been secured for her on board the steamer. Her prospects being thus settled, to her own satisfaction, Mrs. Westerfield was at liberty to make her arrangements for the desertion of poor little Sid. The person on whose assistance she could rely was an unmarried elder sister, distinguished as proprietor of a cheap girls' school in one of the suburbs of London. This lady, known to local fame as Miss Wigger, had already proposed to take Sid into training as a pupil teacher. "'I'll force the child on,' Mrs. Wigger promised, till she can earn her bread and lodging by taking my lowest class. When she gets older, she will replace my regular governess, and I shall save the salary. With this puzzle waiting for a reply, Mrs. Westerfield had only to inform her sister that it was accepted. Come here, she wrote, on Friday next, at any time before two o'clock, and Sid shall be ready for you. P.S. I am to be married again on Thursday, and start for America with my husband and my boy by next Saturday's steamer. The letter was posted, and the mother's anxious mind was, to use her own phrase, relieved of another worry. As the hour of eight drew near on Wednesday evening, 
Mrs. Westerfield's anxiety forced her to find relief in action of some kind. She opened the door of her sitting-room and listened on the stairs. It still wanted for a few minutes to eight o'clock, when there was a ring at the doorbell. She ran down to open the door. The servant happened to be in the hall and answered the bell. The next moment the door was suddenly closed again. "'Anybody there?' Mrs. Westerfield asked. "'No, ma'am.' This seemed strange. Had the old wretch deceived her after all? "'Look in the letter-box,' she called out. The servant obeyed and found a letter. Mrs. Westerfield tore it open, standing on the stairs. It contained half a sheet of common note-paper. The interpretation of the cipher was written on it in these words. Remember number 12, Purbeck Road, St. John's Wood. Go to the summer-house in the back garden. Count to the fourth plank in the floor, reckoning from the side wall on the right as you enter the summer-house. Prize up the plank. Look under the mold and rubbish. Find the diamonds. Not a word of explanation accompanied these lines. Neither had the original cipher been returned. The strange old man had earned his money, and had not attended to receive it, had not even sent word where or how it might be paid. Had he delivered his letter himself? He, or his messenger, had gone before the house door could be opened. A sudden suspicion of him turned her cold. Had he stolen the diamonds? She was on the point of sending for a cab, and driving it to his lodgings, when James came in, eager to know if the interpretation had arrived. Keeping her suspicions to herself, she merely informed him that the interpretation was in her hands. He at once asked to see it. She refused to show it to him until he had made her his wife. "'Put a chisel in your pocket when we go to church tomorrow morning,' was the one hint she gave him. As thoroughly worthy of each other as ever, the betrothed lovers distrusted each other to the last. At eleven o'clock the next morning they were united in the bonds of wedlock, the landlord and the landlady of the public-house in which they had both been serving being the only witnesses present. The children were not permitted to see the ceremony. On leaving the church door, the married pair began their honeymoon by driving to St. John's Wood. A dirty printed notice in a broken window announced that the house was to let, and a sour-tempered woman informed them that they were free to look at the rooms. The bride was in the best of humors. She set the bridegroom the example of keeping up appearances by examining the dilapidated house first. This done, she said sweetly to the person in charge, "'May we look at the garden?' The woman made a strange answer to this request. "'That's curious,' she said. James interfered for the first time. "'What's curious?' he asked roughly. "'Among all the idle people who have come here at one time or another to see this house,' the woman said, "'only two have wanted to look at the garden.' James turned on his heel and made for the summer-house, leaving it to his wife to pursue the subject or not as she pleased. She did pursue the subject. "'I'm one of the persons, of course,' she said. "'Who is the other?' "'An old man came on Monday.' The bride's pleasant smile vanished. "'What sort of person was he?' she asked. The sour-tempered woman became sourer than ever. "'Oh, how can I tell? A brute! There!' "'A brute!' The very words which the new Mrs. Belbridge had herself used when the expert had irritated her. With serious misgivings, she, too, turned her steps in the direction of the garden. James had already followed her instructions and used his chisel. The plank lay loose on the floor. With both his big hands he rapidly cleared away the mold and the rubbish. In a few minutes the hiding-place was laid bare. They looked into it. They looked at each other. There was the empty hole, telling its own story. The diamonds were gone. End of Section 8 Recording by Todd